Is it true that people in San Fran hate it when other people call it Frisco? I hate it when you call it Frisco. I've also heard people in Frisco hate it when you call it San Fran. <laughs> I think you just painted people from San Francisco as hating it whenever people refer to their city at all. Yeah, they're hateful people, man. They're so bitter and angry. Isn't and always... San Francisco the home to the largest pride festival in the world? Yeah, that, that pride. They're hubris. That's the real problem with San Fran. And also... <laughs> they're too full of themselves. They will crumble one day. Yeah, they're so proud. You know why they all hold their heads so high? Because they have uh, so many necks. Because people go there, they leave their necks in San Francisco, and San Fran keeps them. That's Frisco for you. So I'm envisioning, uh, what is it? Is it Burma? Is it Burma where they have like the ladies put those rings around their necks? I think that's in Africa. Where I they, think it's some, the... it's, it is somewhere in Southeast Asia. And I is am it? going to have to Ugh. clarify the yeah. corrections section of our website. This week we're talking about I left my neck in San Francisco. It's not just a nonsensical thing that I'm saying right now. It's an episode of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. That's right. Uh, and what we are doing is we are Scooby-Doods. This is a podcast oh, called Scooby-Doods. Yes. That's right. What we are doing is we are Scooby-Doods. Um, what I am doing, my name is Luke. I'm, I'm Evan. This is a podcast where two best friends talk about their favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too. Named Scooby-Doo. I am named Luke. I am Evan. And we are here to talk to you about a very special episode of Scooby-Doo, which I'm thrilled to get into. I thought this episode was such a blast. It is It is a lot of fun. Scrappy notwithstanding, it's just, it's great. It is a ride. I, I gotta say, even Scrappy withstanding, this was a lot of fun. I don't like Scrappy, but he did okay here. Uh, so, so without further ado... <laughs> what, what did he do? Can, can, hey guys, can, can he do that? I don't think he can do that. There's no one in the room with you. Your, your oh my, camera is all on. These, all, all of these people. It's like that meme where the one dude is like crossing his arms and falling back into a, his crew who are all going, oh. Oh, yeah. The, uh, is he hot fire? He's not a rapper. Is, That's just it's, it's part of his rap. He says a bunch of stuff and he ends and he says, I'm not a rapper. Oh, that one. Yep. And it's got the dude who's like pulling his face down who swerves in front of the camera. And the best, the best GIF on the internet is the one where he just, like, he continues falling over. For me, the best GIF on the internet is where the rapper's face is replaced with Obama and the other guy's face is replaced with Biden. That is the best GIF on the internet. <laughs> the ultimate hype man, to be sure. I'm sorry I keep taking this off the rails. I'm just having so much fun. Yeah, you, you're, you're sort of dropping, like, a little Obama-Biden re reference when your country is in, like, the death in its death throes right now. This is me browsing pictures of my ex. <laughs> like, as my, my new abusive partner is, like, in the other room breaking plates. <laughs> Got a little political there. Little this political. intro is it's, it's, not even our longest intro we've ever done. all over the place, though. <laughs> but I feel like we got our message across. Do you really think so? Um, people in San Francisco are really stuck up because they have so much pride. Don't leave your neck there. Obama and Biden made the best memes. Yeah, that's that's a good cap. Yeah. With with all that said, enjoy the episode. Uh, I left my neck in San Francisco. It is a delight. Yeah. All right. Two dudes talking about Scooby Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby Doo's. Scrappy-Doo. 
Scooby-Doo. Uh, it's their show. Their show is what we're covering right now. It's the, uh, it's the, just Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. That's all the show is called. Yeah. 1979. The last time we did the show, we did uh, the Scarab Lives. Yes. We did the first uh, episode of this season of the first season. Man, it's uh, uh, a. Can you give me a minute, dude? I gotta run. I I left my neck in San Francisco. I gotta run and grab that. All right. I'll be just a Uh, second, man. I'll be right back. This, our our listeners don't know. But our recording session this morning has has been so on and off. Okay, I'm back. And and so uh, hodgepodge that when you said you had to leave, my frustration levels like spiked. <laughs> We've had so many little hiccups, so it's understandable. But I'm back, baby. And yeah, we're here talking about episode ten of Scooby Doo and Scrappy Doo. Uh, it's no big impressions on this episode let's let the listeners know right off the bat what they're in for uh they're in for an an episode that has a lot of similarities to one of our personal favorites make a beeline away from that feline yes very similar and i i gotta say this at the top and it feels it feels weird to hear these words coming out of my mouth but this might be my favorite classic episode of scooby-doo we've seen yet are you serious? That is I, the highest praise. That is the high, really high. I'm not going to compare it to the new episodes because they're a different beast, but this is maybe my favorite. And it's an episode with Scrappy-Doo, which is kind of like developing a crush on the school bully. I don't know why, but it just felt like it worked here. Okay, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, with that kind of, uh, kind of lead-in, let's, let's get into the episode. Yeah, uh, so opening... I had one note about the intro is... Um, it, it sort of ends with Scrappy holding his uncle, walking through hospital doors into a waiting room where the rest of the gang sits, uh, which was very much how that ep- first episode went. Yeah, everyone except Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy took a, a real back seat in that last episode. Here, the intro is the same, but the episode dynamic is very different. Fred, Velma, and Daphne do have a role to play, each of them. And <laughs> go back go back to that... To that um, page on the website but i did take a screenshot i love it because they're all so like dead-eyed like they're all and like fred is reading a newspaper they're not like perked up and ready to go it's really like they're waiting for scooby to come out from a routine surgery yeah and it sort of feels like this is our lives now we understand that the camera sort of loves these three and we will come on stage as needed it, it's so true. It is. It's like we're getting a preview of them in the green room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not. This is not the characters. This is the actors who resent Scrappy. Like we said, that was a pretty good encapsulation of that first episode of the Scarab Lives. Now we're doing. I left my neck in San Francisco. Yes, uh, I left my neck in San Francisco. That sounds like it's a headless something or maybe a vampire something. Let's. Uh, I, I'm interested to see that. Just a couple of notes, if I can take a second and talk a little bit about Scrappy specifically, because I think we've given some background about him in the past, but a little more might be helpful. Scrappy is voiced by Lenny Weinrib, who uh, the connection here is that you had previously mentioned Inch High Private Eye, and he is the titular Private Eye in that series. I mean, I kind of like the idea that he only voices like diminutive, diminutive characters. Oh, that's true. Like he only voices small, pro- maybe annoying kind of New York-y accent people. Uh, and with that, we are now into the episode. And we break in approaching Alcatraz. Alcatraz is described by Jack, who is the uh, the tour guide. He has like a little, mm. like a captain's hat, sort of, a little, little sailor hat. 
a jauntily worn sailor's hat and a buttoned up shirt that's like unbuttoned at the top couple of buttons. He's kind of foxy. I really like that he introduces Alcatraz. Uh, they, they approach it on a, on a speedboat. Um, and he describes Alcatraz as San Francisco's most famous island prison. <laughs> the other five just can't hold a candle to it. All these other, you know, really crappy, lesser known island prisons. Alcatraz is the, is the crown jewel. It, it's really the tops. Which makes you wonder why it's no longer in use. Yeah, they, they do say that even at the time that this came out in 1979, around that er era, um, it was no longer being used as, a, as an actual penitentiary. Uh, Scrappy does not know this, and when he hears that it's a prison, he says that he wants to splat those crooks. Scrappy commonly says splat. We're gonna splat him, Uncle Scoob! Are you a little concerned that, that we are at a, a, a penitentiary? Um... And Scrappy knows that these criminals are, like, behind lock and key, but wants to assault them. <laughs> <laughs> to his thinking, prison is just a place where people go, and then anyone can visit and punish them. <laughs> like, like, each person's in a dunk tank, and you can just chuck balls and rotten vegetables at them. S Scrappy, he has so much to learn. He's, he's, so, pre he's so precocious. I, I'll reiterate this more, even more uh, strongly. I didn't hate Scrappy in this episode. Uh, so, they are on a tour. I, I mean, I introduced Jack as being a tour guide. And accompanying hmm. Mystery Incorporated are two women, both of whom are green. So that's not a good differentiating factor. But one is... M one is much older than the other. The captain does explain, or Jack does explain, that, look, uh, this prison, it's, it's deserted. Uh, and then um, one of the women, I believe it is the older one, right? Yes, the older uh, woman, Mrs. Cornell, as opposed to the younger one, Sally... Um, uh, says, like, stop talking about the, the lady vampire of the bay. You're scaring this poor girl, referring to Daphne. Yeah, so it, I believe it was the younger woman, Sally, who says, uh, deserted except for the lady vampire of the bay. Because uh, oh. Jack doesn't really, like, hold to that. Yeah, Jack's not, he's not furthering that myth. Maybe myth. And, but Daphne is not, she's not disturbed by talk of the vampire. She says she's probably just seasick. It, you know, it was a little rocky coming over on the boat just doesn't feel too hot she's just a little bit woozy they they go into the gang or the, rather the entire tour they go into alcatraz that's why they're there yeah to get a tour of the island here here they're not here to investigate any mystery we're just here for sightseeing scooby and shaggy um they don't want to go inside they've heard about this vampire of the bay they're not uh, they're not too keen on on entering um so scrappy says uh uh i bet you wanted to stay outside so you could look for the vampire uh and then scooby says I did? Uh, and his <laughs> mouth does not move. That's, oh man, one note on this. Part of what I loved about this episode is that the animation was all over the place. Like, it's almost as if each individual frame is done by a completely different animator. It, it swerves so much, it's so jerky, but that's part of what I love about it. You could pause at any moment and find a brilliant frame. It's very charming. It really is charming, yeah. We should also, or I, one of us should have mentioned, San Francisco is sort of framed in promotional, you know, like, tour materials. It's like, sunny San Fran. Yeah, no, it totally is. It's... San Francisco is um, perpetually foggy and overcast. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it's sunny for this first scene, but it does get really kind of dim later on, which makes sense as we're trying to further the mystery that things would get a little bit grittier. And back to your point, yeah, Scrappy wants to stay outside and look for the lady vampire of the bay. And Scooby's happy to let him think that Scooby's brave. 
so so he runs off and, and uh, Shaggy's like, like Scrap will never learn, eh, Scoob? Um, yeah, Scrappy goes after a a bush, a tiny little sprig of grass that's kind of waving and has a little action going on behind it. He grabs that sprig, and what should emerge but uh, a goose? I guess, a goose a in a Confederate uniform, no less. <laughs> it was. I swear. I feel like they just found those cells from uh, from A Night of Fright is No Delight and just reused them. It absolutely could be. The sound effects sound exactly the same. Granted, that's probably just because Frank Welker also did that. I think Frank Welker does the lion's share of the Foley work for this show. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're kind of faffing about outside. Scrappy tackles the bush. As Scooby and Shaggy are, like, leaning against this wall nearby, at one point with their arms around each other, yeah, just just looking upon Scrappy like like proud parents. Yeah, like proud same gender parents. It's uh, ahead of its time. Uh, and a, and a shadow looms over them, and obviously the shadow is the uh, the lady vampire of the bay. Yes, and uh, let's let's give the listeners a little bit of a, a mental picture of that. What's she look like? So the most striking feature about the lady vampire of the bay uh, is that she is a redhead. Very red, voluminous hair. She kind of looks. And I'm, I mean, like, look, Toronto, Toronto has a, our, some of our listeners know that that is where I hail from. That's where I live. Toronto has a pretty big problem with, like, poverty in, 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 in a certain subsection of its population. Like, there are a lot of people, like, on the streets, like, begging and that sort of thing. But this lady vampire of the bay looks like a homeless woman. It's her super tattered clothes. They're very tattered. And her hair is so vol- voluminous that it doesn't look like it's well kept it looks like birds live in it uh she she has like a like a blue like a dark bluish dress and then like a purple shawl that is like as you said very ragged yeah super ragged all over it blue and purple bright red hair with a black streak running through it kind of like a reverse bride of frankenstein yeah it, i was trying to think of that yeah it's bride of frankenstein-y and i am i am going to uh i'm going to note just because comic-con will have taken place last last weekend um that her hair looks very wig-like, sort of like Medusa in the um, in the Inhumans trailer. It looks ah, that's actually exactly what I thought of because I just saw the Inhumans trailer. Yeah, it it looks bad in the same way that the Inhumans trailer looked bad. Oh, it looks so bad, and it gave away like it had the whole. It, take a second for Inhumans. Maybe we'll cut this, but. It had, like, the whole first season plot in it. It opened up with, like, I love you, brother. I support you as king. And then, like, hey, I think your brother might be trying to take your throne. And then it ended with, I am now king. I usurp this throne. What, what am I, I going to watch this show for? Yeah, it's... Can you imagine if Game of Thrones did that? Like, the trailer for <laughs> Game of Thrones? It had, like, the Red Wedding in the first season trailer or something like that. Yeah, they 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 inde- they introduce endear you to the characters and have them betray like all in like this two minute trailer. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what it was like, and the CGI was not great, especially for an it ad. It wasn't an ad that said like "see it in IMAX." So I'm not gonna. Ugh, why boy. would I do that? Uh, it's, that's <laughs> that's the Lady Vampire of the Bay. We then just two sure, more notes. Yeah. She has the typical vampire sharp teeth and extremely high cheekbones. She does. Uh, yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, we then we then move into Alcatraz. We then join the rest of the gang. Not quite all the rest of the gang. It's the three non-gang characters, Jack, Mrs. Cromwell, and Sally, and Fred and Velma. Daphne is nowhere to be seen at the moment. Uh, Mrs. Cornell. Cornell, excuse me. Um, and so they're talking about like the various inmates who have uh, who have resided or who might have resided 
within mm. Alcatraz. Uh, they mentioned a criminal who goes by the name of Lefty Callahan. I think Fred or Velma wanted to see that cell, but they said Lefty Callahan never stayed here at Alcatraz. Alcatraz was shut down right after Lefty Callahan was caught uh, stealing, what was it? Lefty Callahan stole three special gems. Uh, the world's largest diamond, emerald, and ruby. All in one heist. Let me tell you, the what? what is it? Is it the the hope the hope diamond i think the hope diamond is the largest it's like pretty yeah. hefty it's like big it's like as big as your fist like it's massive yeah and all in one heist because I, that's amazing because i don't think they're all stored in the same museum they're certainly not no let alone the same city but it's maybe this is part of the san francisco tourism board saying yeah we've got the biggest of every kind of gem here they say no lefty callahan never actually stayed here alcatraz was shut down right before lefty was caught and then shipped over to San Quentin. Also, in addition to that, these jewels were never recovered. True enough. We never knew where these jewels went, even though they implied that Lefty Callahan was caught, but apparently never gave up that information. So Fred and Velma, uh, they they then begin to look for Daphne because she wasn't feeling well, and she has, she's not with the group. So, so they split off, they start to, to look for her. They want to see if she's all right. And who should show up instead of Daphne, but the Lady Vampire of the Bay, wringing her hands, laughing at the top of this staircase. And maybe this doesn't matter at all, but uh, the Lady Vampire of the Bay has massive hands. I, I exactly, I wrote that down. I, in my notes here, it says the Lady Vampire of the Bay has huge hands. Dude hands. Let's be frank, dude hands. This is Seinfeldian. In one of our intros that was recorded <laughs> today, I said, uh, she has mad hands. I... Is that the one that we're using? I don't think so. That's the one for Apocalypse. <laughs> like, they, maybe you heard that a week ago, and I don't think we're using that, but maybe. I uh, Weirdly proportioned. Uh, so, uh, in, in their fright, Scooby and Shaggy have... I guess we glossed over this just because it, it is so common, in that Scooby and Shaggy will run away, Scrappy will be left behind, and will try to punch the ghost. They will then run back very quickly, and and grab uh their little nephew um before he can the ghost and grab him and and uh, before he can engage and escape with him they've escaped with him all the way into one of these alcatraz cells and locked the door behind them yeah and scrappy's shouting like hey come on we gotta go out there and get that ghost scooby and shaggy are obviously trying to stay safe the the vampire basically shows up spooks them and like disappears from there, Scrappy, uh, they, the gang meets up, they get, Scooby, they get Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy out of the cell. Scrappy runs off and believes he's caught the vampire. And he comes back, and uh, we've mentioned um, Scrappy's super canine strength, and that he can just hoist people above his head. He can. And who does he have hoisted above his head but Daphne? Yeah, he's, so he brings back Daphne. And if you recall in the, blue, in, in the Scarab Lives... Uh, Scrappy at one point chased the scarab and brought back the guy who was the villain ultimately. So yeah, a uh, little bit of a spoiler for that episode. Still worth listening to. Still worth listening to. I I assume that if you haven't listened to that, by the time you go back, you'll have forgotten. I assume people will forget the names of their close family members by the time one of these gargantuan episodes <laughs> is done. So I'm not too worried. Um, from there... We have we have a very, very fascinating dynamic, which I think probably contributed to this being one of your favorite episodes, in that Scoob and Shag kind of have their own thing going on, very common, but then Fred and Velma have their own thing going on. Fred and Velma are investigating the mystery almost completely on their own, potentially because, as you may have picked up by now, they're kind of setting us up to think that Daphne might be the villain. Which is to say that uh, Shaggy actually takes his best friend aside. Uh, hey, Scoob! 
the vampire has red hair too. Maybe it's Daphne. And Scooby, like, initially reacts to this with laughter. And then, like, it dawns on him that it might be true. That this might yeah. be, like, an actual thing. If you, uh, if you aren't summoning a real clear picture of Daphne, Daphne has bright red hair and a very purple color scheme with little touches of green. And that is, uh, I mean, the, the monster is completely purple with very red hair. The parallel is pretty simple. I will mention that Daphne will turn into a monster, uh, but it will be years and years later because the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo does not come out until, like, a, a little while after this show. But Daphne might be the monster here. We don't know at this stage yet, but she, do, she will down the line turn into a werewolf. In what is maybe the scariest moment in Scooby-Doo ever, with the exception of make a beeline away from that feline, which when Shaggy turns into the, the feline, I think is the scariest moment ever in Scooby-Doo. There's also Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. Um, oh my gosh! Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, when I saw that, that's what prompted me to start writing a Scooby-Doo story of my own, like when I was 10 years old. At some point, we will need to do that, and I'm particularly excited for it because I, haven't, I don't think I've ever seen it. Really? That's probably going to be the biggest nostalgia bomb for me when we do do that episode. But back to the episode that we're at right now, the gang and the, uh, the crew, as I guess I'm going to call them, uh, uh, boat their way off of Alcatraz, and San Fran is now extremely foggy. It's, it's gotten foggier and foggier as the episode's gone on. Velma notices and points out to Jack that one of the, uh, one of the lights is missing. Or, or not one of the lights, but one of the lenses to the lights on the speedboat. Uh, and, and so one of these red lights is, uh, I guess, has been taken or has fallen off. Yeah, that's true. And who knows where it could have gone. And that's probably not important to anything. I don't even know why Evan's bringing it up. I'm sorry, listeners. Moving on, uh, we are moving over. Jack says that they're going to do a Fisherman's Wharf tour. And Mrs. Cornell, she opts out because she's going to go to the opera. Mm. Uh, Daphne... She's feeling a little under the weather still. She's just going to go up and uh, crash in her room. Scoob and Shag do find out that Fisherman's Wharf, great food. So they do want to go on that tour of Fisherman's Wharf. Oh, yeah, they want to get all that food. They're not as interested in the legends of San Francisco because I think uh, Jack mentions the legends of uh, Fisherman's Wharf, and they, they aren't into that. They want the food. But first, back to the hotel. we got to drop off Daphne, and while we're there, we see a really cool reading room. I think, like, they could have just called it a library. I, I mean, I guess it's adjacent to the lobby. They could have just called it a lobby, really, because it's all one big room, and the lobby's got, like, a newspaper area, a cafe, and there is, like, a, a bookshelf with lots of books, but it's it's a, clearly a multifunctional wide room. And very well laid out. I really like that. It, yeah, it's, it's, it is <laughs> very lovingly rendered. It's a, it's a nice-looking room. It's a fully realized setting. Fred picks up a book that says in, in large caps, Legends of Old San Francisco. They, they read aloud from the book that, uh, that like her Transylvanian cousins, uh, this, this lady vampire, she has no reflection uh, when, when in front of a mirror. Very valuable clue, especially because in the room we're in right now, uh, there is a giant full-length mirror. Scooby and Shaggy start to walk off when the lights go out. The lights go back on. The mirror, the, the vampire is now standing in front of the mirror. She, she tells uh, the people who are in the lobby, I'm warning you, do not meddle in my affairs, or it will be your doom. Uh, well, and, and as they can see in the mirror behind her, no reflection. None whatsoever. So this must be a real vampire. Everyone is understandably scared, with the exception of Scrappy, who obviously is going to try and splat this ghost. Not uh, this monster. <laughs> so um, Scrappy, yeah, he runs up, tries to splat, uh, tries to splat this vampire, 
Um, and what she does is she rolls up the lip of the carpet and kind of like burritos him. Yeah, like she she at first she lifts up this runway carpet that Scrappy's running on, so it's too up far uphill for him to run up and catch her. And then she yeah burritos him into it. It's like this vampire works at Chipotle. That's our first clue. And then rolls him up and runs out the window. And and yeah, when you say runs out the window, it's like they animated her normally running. And just having, like, a window that was just low enough for her to just, like, run through without any sort of, like, leaping yeah. motion. To seamlessly step over. And looking out this window, it looks like they're not on the ground floor. <laughs> Fred and Velma also run through the window similarly. They just they just run through. Yeah. Almost like it's a door in, in their, and not a window. Yeah, in their attempt to splat the monster, Fred and Velma are now splatted three stories down. <laughs> That's the reality. It's true. <laughs> And, and we know that they could be very well, very high up, not only because of our view out the window, but because there's an elevator in this place. Also kind of a callback to... Uh, Make a beeline away from that feline. Yes, indeed. We've seen a lot of elevators in our time. Scrappy once again runs off after freeing himself from, uh, from the carpet. He once again runs off. This time he brings back Jack over his head, which is again just like, well, did he bring back uh, the, the villain this time? He's, uh, it's kind of funny watching him hold Jack, because he's clearly got one hand on each bun. And when he lowers Jack, he lowers Jack so his legs go on either side of him. <laughs> like, he lowers it, Jack, so he emerges like, from Jack's groin. Like, he's a little doggy gynecologist. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then when they're like, that's not the vampire ghost, Scrappy jumps on Jack's chest, also very reminiscent of the, the Scarab Lives, and he, like grabs Jack's collar and pushes his face into Jack's face. They, they could be making out in that moment for all I know. I, I believe what I wrote down here, maybe it's inaccurate, but in searching for fangs to make sure Jack's not a vampire, Sh uh, Scrappy puts his head in Jack's mouth. Really? Because when Scrappy and pulls I, away and looks at the gang and is like, nothing there, Jack is covering his mouth with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to rewatch it really quickly. I'm going to say it can't possibly be true if only because Scrappy's head is so big. Dude, it's, it looks so much like that. It's hard to read it as anything else. Please, I'm looking at that screen right now. He does. <laughs> I know, man. He puts his, and not his entire head, but like the, fr the, the, the front two-thirds of his head go directly into Jack's mouth. And at an angle. You know like when you're about to kiss someone, you don't just head-on kiss them. You, tilt, you each tilt your head a little bit. That is exactly what Scrappy does. It's, it's honestly... Jack should not just be covering his mouth in shock. He should be like weep. He's gonna. He should be weeping later on. As... He's he's crouched in the shower, fully <laughs> clothed. Oh man, it's it, the crazy thing about this is there's in every scene there's multiple interactions like this where somebody pulls a, a, an expression that's just so wacky. And like when Scooby and Shaggy are locked up in the cell, someone's like, "Oh, didn't you know that's like the famous chicken thief cell?" And Scooby's like, that makes sense. And, and Shaggy looks at him like he's pissed. Like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> and they're on to the next thing. It's just, a, it's not even a gag. I'm, I'm oh. obviously going to recapture that. <laughs> oh, boy. So that happens. Daphne then shows up. I guess she's feeling a tiny bit better. She's standing in front of the mirror, the same mirror. Shaggy notices and in hushed voices, points it out to Scooby. So he's not telling everyone in the room. No, he's only telling Scooby what his suspicions are. He doesn't want to... It's kind of interesting that he trusts Scooby enough to say this, but he hasn't said anything to Fred or Velma. 
But the the takeaway is that Velma, that uh, Daphne doesn't have a reflection either. Now is the time for them to head to Fisherman's Wharf, and Shag and Scoob are the o- and Scrappy are the only ones who go, um, because you know Fred and Velma uh, have um, a mystery to look into. Daphne's not feeling well. Mrs. Cornell uh, was going to the opera, and I can't remember. Sally is likewise yep. uh, has other stuff going on, which honestly, look, makes yeah, me feel so- kind of bad for Jack. Jack set up this tour, and almost everyone would rather do something else. It's just abandoning him. Jack is, to me, the sweetest character in this episode. His voice acting work, I, I really tried to hunt down who voiced Jack, because it was a real distinct, real clean, clear voice, but I couldn't find it. Uh, he sounds so human. It, he, do, he does very good work. Um, this is a very, very um, brief, short diversion, uh, but they are at Fisherman's Wharf. It is still extremely foggy. And they are spooked, or rather, two of them are spooked by the figures at the San Francisco Wax Museum. If I can back it up just a little bit. So we cut to Fisherman's Wharf. We pan from a live bait sign over to Scooby and Shaggy, which could be very good writing. A little bit of a visual gag. I, I'm going to chalk that up to being an excellent visual gag. That's what I want to read it as. And yeah, they, they walk up, they're walking along Fisherman's Wharf, and they walk upon a vampire. The thing to me about this wax museum is you would think they would spend so much more time in it because of all the... Oh my gosh, is that a motorcycle or a... <laughs> Apache helicopter. Did you, did you I, hear that? I heard just a little like... <clears throat> and I know if I hear it, then it must have been pretty loud on your side. What the frick, dude? Um, I'm surprised they spend so little time there because it seems like the kind of setting that is just like ripe for like... Uh, just like funny gags. Right? All of these gags upon gag, monster gags, and, and safe gags too, where it doesn't have to be really scary, it's just them joking and getting scared by non-real stuff, and then the lady vampire is actually in there. Yeah, or the lady vampire shows up and they're scared of her, or they pretend to be wax uh, creatures. Yeah, but no, they're, they're in and out of there. It's, they just look at the vampire, they realize it's a wax, wax museum, and then they're on to something else. You, you do a lot of, you tend to do impressions quite well. Uh, and you tend to remember voices a little bit better than I do. Ooh, um, I... What voice are you looking for? Which is to say that they then... Uh, they, they see a oh. pizza stand. Uh, and uh, Shaggy orders a garlic pizza. Heavy on the garlic. The, the person running the stand then says how heavy. But he says it... Are you listening to it right now? The, honestly, I think it's going to be offensive if I do this impression. <laughs> which is not to say I'm not going to do it. Just do it, man. Uh, what's it going to be, funny guy? It's like, it's not just a dude with a bad Italian accent. This guy has brain trauma. <laughs> How much garlic? You see, it's offensive. Yeah, that's real bad. I hope you, I hope you, why am I saying I hope you keep this in? You're obviously going to keep it in. Yeah. Um, but to, to how heavy. signify how much garlic he wishes to have on this pizza, he, he pulls these garlands of garlic down from... Uh, where they're hanging and drapes them around this man's neck. Yes, almost as if it's a uh, uh, a lay. A lay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, the the hilarious thing to me is he puts this lay of garlic around the the guy's neck, and the guy <laughs> Yo, like that is I don't like that. That one I was really, really bad. don't like it. <laughs> he puts this spray, these this garland of garlic around the guy's neck, and the guy just kind of goes cross-eyed and then slowly sinks behind the counter <laughs> and remains cross-eyed like this is like like a punch and judy puppet yeah i i don't know if this episode is extremely progressive 
to have a person with autism in it or if it's making fun of individuals with autism and it's really offensive or if it's just they're, wacky they're, and they're not they don't know what they're doing probably the third. probably the yeah. latter yeah they're they're eating this um this pizza which has like uh odor waves coming off of yeah it. it is this is some stanky garlic pizza and obviously they're doing it because vampires don't like garlic that's the thing uh and they test out their their quote-unquote anti-vampire breath on this shrub and what happens is the shrub like jumps straight up in the air and then like slumps over on the ground you'd expect the the shrub to just shrivel like that's the thing right just like the leaves would fall yeah, off where the, and the would, leaves fall off it's like winter in a moment but that is definitely not what happens no it bounces up into the air like spins around and then falls over not even wilted just like a little bit deflated they then see a, a redhead out in the distance again it is extremely foggy so it makes sense that they might not be able to really determine uh what who that figure is they assume it's daphne it's purple it's red hair that's they associate that with daphne so they follow this figure into chinatown uh daphne there were they're concerned that she might run that Daphne might run into the vampire. They are still concerned about her well-being. So they, they run after Daphne, kind of brave for the three of them. Scooby and Shaggy are leading the charge. It's not even uh, Scrappy carrying them. It is very obviously the uh, lady vampire of San Francisco who says, You fool! I am the vampire! That's a pretty good uh, pretty good impression, too. I am actually very proud of that. Thank you. That's you, like right you got the, the tone right mm-hmm. down really nicely. Good job. The ensuing interaction, Scooby and Shaggy are very, like, pleading, and, and Shaggy's smiling really big, like, no, I'm so sorry, we didn't mean to do anything. If you look at Scrappy's expression after they've encountered the vampire, <laughs> he is pissed. He looks like Clint Eastwood's kid was just murdered. He's like Clint Eastwood and Liam Neeson had a kid, and that kid's daughter was taken. He, he, he is hurt. He is jonesing he's, for a fight right now. He's so mad. I'm looking at him right now. He's angry. He's, oh, he wants to fight, man. I'm scared of Scrappy right now. <laughs> I think, I think Scrappy should be in the new Die Hard movie. They, they do try to run away. All three, well, I mean, when I saw all three of them try to run away, obviously Scooby and Shaggy sort of like bodily take Scrappy away. Um, they leap into a fruit stand. The, the two older ones are then seen um, balancing on watermelons. Yeah, but, yeah, they run, they crash into this fruit stand. Scrappy is thrown clear of the fray, but there's a dust cloud. They are running on watermelons, almost like running on logs of water. Uh, and they are then catapulted vertically off of these watermelons onto the, I guess, the sort of awning? Yeah, that that's exactly a, it. Mm-hmm, that is above the fruit stand. It's all uh, really slapsticky and, and, and weird. Um, I love that scene. It was so goofy and so poorly animated. And the awnings apparently work like Venus flytraps because they don't just land on it. They get, like, snapped up in it. Oh, of course. Uh, Of course. Scrappy then realizes there's no one holding him back. Wow. He can do this. He can actually fight. So we have a down-and-dirty fist fight between Scrappy and the the lady vampire of the bay. Scrappy leaps at the vampire. He's 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 like a dog unchained. And the animation for that um, leap is actually really slick. I mean, did you catch that? How like fluid it is as he leaps up towards the vampire who grabs a black jewelry box and just like lets Scrappy <laughs> jump into it. And it's just like this tiny little box because again, Scrappy is not a large dog. Scrappy's itty bitty. And and then what I love is she then just sets the box on the ground and like runs away. She doesn't, like, throw it. She doesn't, like... She just, like, she gently sets it on the ground. I had to pause this 
because I couldn't stop laughing. It was so, so funny. Please, my friend, please, please, please make a gif of this. Please. I can try. I, I don't know if we have, like, the right, like, video things for it, but she sets it down gingerly. Yeah, she doesn't want, she doesn't just, like, toss it, which she could. If she chucked it into the river, Scrappy would be dead, but she doesn't. It's, oh, that, that sequence slayed me. I watched it maybe ten times through. Oh, <laughs> How he's, man. like, really going for the fight, and then he just, like, bunny hops into the box. <laughs> Um, and from there, she books it. We then pan back to Fred and Velma, who are a team, which I, I really love this. You don't see a lot of just Fred and Velma working together. And it makes so much sense that they would work together, because Velma is unquestionably the brainiest of the bunch, and Fred is the most curious of the bunch. It, them being tight makes so much sense, and I've never shipped them harder than in this episode. Yeah, it was it was really really cool. What they what they do with the clue that they find is they find uh, some paint in the lobby of the of the hotel, and it's near the mirror. Uh, yeah, they see this green paint right near the mirror, almost in the pattern of footprints leading behind it. Outside, uh, it is around Chinatown, and here's something that you we haven't seen a lot in any of the episodes that we've done so far, and that is like nameless like townspeople characters being frightened away by the monster. Yeah, it's a kind of Godzilla moment where Fred and Velma step out and they see three different passerbys running by screaming. They're terrified, and it's it makes it more real. Normally, it is just the gang who are afraid of the monster, but these are like actual, like honest to goodness, like San Franciscans. Yeah, San Franciscans. Again, the city is really the seventh character in this show. <laughs> There's so many characters outside of the gang. And what they're scared by is they're scared by the Lady Vampire of the Bay standing on top of this Chinatown archway next to this uh, tiger statue with two glowing green eyes. Which does lend itself to, to it being a supernatural being. It leaps up right onto the archway. Uh, and then it takes, one of the, it takes one of these glowing eyes, it takes one of these glass eyes, and then, uh, and then leaps off. Yeah, and Fred is kind of confused by this. He's like, that, that glass, that's just a piece of glass. What's she doing? They, they, they then notice that the vampire has run back to the hotel, uh, and they're like, let's go. And I, at that point, that's when I like, really fell in love with like, Fred, the Fred and Velma team up. The whole, like, let's go, like, let's do this. As they're running the two of them together chasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ah, it, it's such a great dynamic. I love it. Um, uh, cut back to Scooby, uh, Shaggy, and the box. <laughs> And there's What's in the box? This is fantastic line of dialogue. Uh, like, I think Scrappy's inside, Scoob. Maybe we should just leave him, leave him in there, huh? For like a brief moment, you're actually just like they feel the way I feel. Oh, maybe Shaggy doesn't love love Scrappy. You... Like he's joking about it, but there's like you know if Scooby was like maybe we should, he would like. Okay, and then they would walk away. They wouldn't even take the box with them. But uh, you could you could generously read this as Shaggy wanting to keep Scrappy safe by keeping him in that little airtight box. <laughs> and and I love the fact. Here's the thing: they they need to let Scrappy out of the box, so they open it, and it's like boxes within boxes, for, which were not there before. But as they're opening them, it's several boxes. And when Scrappy finally shows his face, I don't know how purposeful this was on the part of the animators, but it looks like he is he is happy for oxygen. <gasps> and we still, even in that scene, we see fruit all over the place. They are they're maintaining that. They did a great great job. Um, earlier on in in that shot when when 
Scrappy is like pissed. Uh, you can see the fruit stand behind them. Oh yeah, you're right. So they put a lot of they definitely put a lot of effort into like yeah, creating like a a solid setting of of San Francisco. It really shows. And uh, after Scrappy emerges from the uh, the crate, he then sees again the lady vampire of the bay booking it out of there. And obviously he wants to go after them. Scooby and Shaggy want to go the other way. They run. They crash into a wheelbarrow. They end up sitting and finding themselves in the wheelbarrow. Uh, Scrappy says, ah, great idea. Let's, uh, it'll be faster if you two rest in the wheelbarrow and I push you. Scrappy has super puppy strength, so not unreasonable. The part that is weird is that Scrappy grabs the handles of the wheelbarrow. It immediately tips up so it's balancing on its front wheel. And Scrappy runs in the air, somehow generating enough traction to really get them moving. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. He... It makes sense that, like, it would be front-heavy because Scooby and Shaggy weigh so much and Scrappy has no weight to leverage. But he's up in the air, air-running, and it works. At no point does he touch the ground. What the heck? It looks Okay, he touches the ground a little bit later, but I think the proportions of the wheelbarrow have, at that point, changed. But yeah, to start with, he yeah. runs on the air. He gets them moving. I, I, he screams puppy power, which I can only assume is his beseeching the dark arts to give him power. They, they do come uh, upon, uh, the, they're, they're chasing the vampire. Um, and at one point, I guess the vampire turn, turns a corner? It turn, yeah, they're chasing, him through, chasing her through, an, through alleyways. And the vampire, yeah, jukes a corner, and then they're at a dead end. No, not even a dead well, end. It, it is a dead end, but what should greet them at the dead end is not the vampire, but a bat that then flies at them. Yes, very frightening. Bats are scary. I'm scared of bats. If a bat, look, the bravest person, if a bat flew at you, you would duck. You would, you would cringe and cower. I, I literally just had, like, uh, involuntary shivers remembering one time in college where I was cleaning dorm rooms during the summer and there was a bat in there. Are you serious? It was stuck, it was stuck in a sink because bats can't climb out of ceramic easily. And it was terrifying. Yeah, it, it makes, if there's anything that they should be afraid of, it's this bat. This is the scariest thing in the episode so far. And they, but they do chase after the bat, and by they I mean Scrappy then just hoists Scooby and Shaggy and carries them after the bat, which flies into the hotel room, the hotel that they're all staying in. Yeah, there's, there's an open window and it does fly into the window. They're then in the hotel. I think it's Scrappy who says, say, maybe Daphne could help us look for the vampire. Shaggy then says, but if Daphne's the vampire, that's not the kind of help we need. And Scrappy, Scrappy doesn't really put too much, uh, doesn't put too much stock in that. So he goes ahead and he pushes open Daphne's door, which is a little bit ajar, but it's also a violation of her privacy. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. time. 100%. You, we're lucky we didn't see anything we shouldn't have seen in there. But we did see something scary. It was Daphne shaving her legs. No, we see the back. Do you remember in college when we would talk about something that Peter didn't yeah. like? And Peter, Peter would go, I think that was Peter's bit. That was like something he returned to because he knew it got a reaction every time. Oh, it always got a laugh out of me. <laughs> it was good. But what we actually see in Daphne's room is the bat flying all around. We have got the, the door is partially ajar now and the bat is flying all around the room. This does seem to support Scooby and Shaggy's theory. Or Shaggy's theory. The play-by-play the -play is that they slam the door and remarkably scrappy looks scared that like scrappy has a genuine look of fear on his face and he doesn't go after the bat or anything like that 
he's he seems to yield to the fear. They are then on the street, um, and it is Misery Incorporated without Daphne. We've now got pretty strong evidence that Daphne is a vampire. That she, the bat was in the room. Daphne's now in the room. The gang just leaves. They got to get out of there. They are then on the streets of San Francisco. They're wondering where the diamond is because they've uh, Fred and uh, Fred and Velma have come to to the conclusion that uh, that this vampire is trying to to get the jewels that Lefty Callahan has stolen, and it's already gotten the emerald. And it has already gotten the ruby. So Lefty Callahan must have hidden these items around San Francisco. One in the uh, lens to the boat, another one in this eye of the tiger. The thrill of the fight. What? Rising up to the challenge of our rivals. Evan, are you okay? When the last known survivor... I don't know all of the words to this uh, song. Listeners, I think Evan is having a stroke. What's incredible is I think that this is a bit I've kept up in through three consecutive episodes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Well, nice. That's to be praised. Uh, but like you said originally, they believe that this ghost, this vampire, is trying to steal all the crystals. And the last one Velma proposes is at the opera. In in the like I said, they're on the streets. They do see a poster advertising the opera. Uh, that is what sort of clues them in that this might be uh, be where it is. They get there. Fred suggests that he and Velma go upstairs. Daphne's not around. They can't pair up. Fred and Velma go upstairs. Uh, the two dogs and Shaggy, they search downstairs, or on the main floor. They do make their way into, like, a, a changing room. Um, oh, really quick, Scooby and Shaggy go into a changing room. Scrappy goes backstage. He walks backstage, and there's all these ropes hanging from up high, presumably to, like, make changes on the lighting and the sets. And the last thing we see Scrappy do before we turn to Scooby and Shaggy <laughs> is he... Grabs one of these ropes and just casually, automatically <laughs> makes a noose. He fashions a noose. <laughs> a very scrappy-sized noose. And and the look, and the look on his face. Is... Please look at the screenshot. It's unbelievable. Oh man, ah uh, he. Oh, uh, anyway, pretty. Oh, it's 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 the. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the repercussions? The implications. The implications are dark. <laughs> the implication. We cut from there to Scooby and Shaggy in the dressing room. Scooby's putting a blonde wig and a Viking helmet on. Uh, uh, Shaggy's putting it on Scooby. It's, it's very uh, Flight of the Valkyries. Yes. Uh, Scooby then expects Shaggy to head back and, and don his own costume. Uh, Shaggy does walk back into... Uh, he sees this little, what looks like a changing room with a purple curtain... He pulls the curtain back, and we realize the curtain was just the cape of the Lady Vampire of the Bay that she was holding up with her arm. I do like that, yeah. They could have easily just made it like he opened a door or something, but just that detail of it's actually her robe that he's pulled away from her. So uh, the vampire then goes up behind Scooby, and Scooby turns around, Nice costume, Raggy! Uh, and, and touches her fangs. Like, her, her mouth is open, and he like puts his finger in there. It's not as invasive, not nearly as invasive, as Scrappy and Jack. Scrappy likes mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. Scooby likes to pop a thumb in the mouth. Uh, you almost, in that moment, I thought Scooby was going to pull off the mask. How incredible would that have been? Can you imagine? If, if they accidentally unmasked the villain. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> There's no mystery involved. There's no trap that just accidentally falls off. The villain keeps chasing them. We're like, we know you're old man Grimes. <laughs> old man Grimes, we've seen your face. 
Uh, but it the, that does not happen. Scooby just doesn't even realize that it's the vampire. Shaggy just pops up beside Scooby and says, Psst, Scooby, that's the real vampire. As all three of them are sitting less than a foot away from each other. So uh, Scrappy is up on the catwalk. He's up above the stage. Uh, and what's incredible is um, Scrappy's talking about a, a trip cord. He's, uh, wait till she hits my trip cord. And amazingly, Scooby and Shaggy take a right turn, like a sharp right, and avoid the trip cord. And uh, the vampire actually trips on it, which seems a little bit unprecedented to me. Like when, when Scrappy sets up a trap, typically it ends up getting botched and, and like doing more harm than good. When anybody sets up a trap, it almost always first hits Scooby and Shaggy. But in this case, they avoid it remarkably, even though it wasn't even doesn't seem to be designed with them in mind and they weren't aware of the trap. But the vampire does hit that trip cord, trips, and it triggers a trap that is very reminiscent, even though it comes way before, of the one we saw in Mystery Incorporated, episode one. Uh, where the, the, beast, from the beast from below. It's, it's very Rube uh, Goldberg. Very much so. There's like these tray, these uh, trenches that are set up in the air that a bowling ball is running down and uh, triggering all these uh, reactions. And here's the thing. It's... Scooby and Shaggy are watching all of these various like pulleys uh, go up and down. These sets are like falling onto the stage. Yeah, these scales are being weighted one way and another. The entire time they're standing in in the aforementioned noose, uh, which yes. is which is more of a snare. Uh, it's now, now that we can see it. Scrappy has clearly widened it such that a person could stand within it and then be snared. And as this Rube Goldberg machine is going on and these sets are coming down, that snare tightens and raises, catching Scooby and Shaggy around the neck lifting them up into the air, giving them the death of Clayton from Tarzan. <laughs> I'm so angry, because I wanted you to end that saying they were hung so that I could talk about Clayton from Tarzan. Oh, I can't believe you were going for that same thing. That was so dark. This, Yeah, this was back in the day when Disney had villains who, who died. Yeah, a villain who wanted to shoot the main character and his family members, and who hung himself by accident, felt like a hundred stories through this foliage and then dunk, and we see his body hanging with this s s shadow silhouette and, and you know that you know that the vine broke his neck you know that he didn't die of suffocation you know that oh. it like snapped because of how far he falls it snapped hard and granted it's fitting and there's catharsis in there but it's still dark anyways that's Spe not speaking of Disney, really quickly, I just want to try to get this in oh, no, let's very, do it. very fast. Yeah. Uh, I watched Lion King with friends on Wednesday, and I was just like, Disney will not make these movies anymore because you would be astonished how many times in The Lion King they say the word kill. Like, we're going to kill the king. We're going to kill Mufasa. Wow. Dang, that, that is seriously based on Hamlet. They're, they're, they're really bringing it up to the forefront. Lion King, though, is, I think, a great film. Like, that stands the test of time. It's so good. What what will be surprising for you as, like, an adult watching it is how all of the scenes you remember are in there, but they all come one after the other. There's literally no filler in that movie. The Lion King, I think, is perhaps the best Disney movie ever made. That's not an exaggeration. I, don't, I think you could fairly argue that. I really like Tarzan. I really like Tarzan, too, and I also really like Aladdin. I, I like Tarzan and, uh, and Lilo and Stitch are like in my top three. Really? And I don't know who the, what the other one is, but I really like those two movies. Lilo and Stitch was, was fun. I enjoyed that one a lot. It doesn't make my top list, but Tarzan certainly does. The surfing the, on the, branches. 
oh phenomenal instead of just like the fact that they were like oh like bmx like extreme sports are like kind of a thing yeah how could we sort of incorporate this and they did it seamlessly and in a way that hasn't aged poorly no not at all it's so kinetic um yeah. back yeah. to the <laughs> the episode that we're on now sumi and shaggy aren't actually caught around the neck they're caught around the waist both of them and then hoisted into the air it's it's upsetting to me that scrabby says hey what are you guys doing in my trap because um if this trap was going to make sense the snare would have been near the tripwire because that's where the vampire falls. Exactly that, but the snare was somewhere completely different. The vampire is somewhere completely separate, laying on her face. <laughs> there's, there's, um, the, the vampire, again, demonstrates a supernatural ability to leap long distances, leaps from a, from a balcony onto the, um, onto the chandelier, cackles and says, my collection is complete. Yes, as they, she plucks this one jewel from the center of the chandelier. And Scrappy, who has been messing with the ropes, getting Scooby and Shaggy pulled up and lowered down and dropping all these sets, finally does completely release Scooby and Shaggy. But it's right in front of the vampire. Yes, the vampire almost gets them. But then somehow... Scrappy releases one more. Yeah, a cage drops on the vampire. Actually, Scrappy doesn't even do anything. He dropped the last rope previously, but somehow this cage stage prop drops over the vampire. Now the vampire is trapped. Now, Now, like... We're at the end. For all we know, we're at the unmasking stage. Even though Fred and Velma are not around, we've we've caught the we've caught the vampire. Yeah, Fred and Velma are in the balcony. They're looking on, and they will make their way down to the stage in a minute. But before we unmask the vampire in the cage, the lights go off. They go back on again, and there's a trap door under the cage. The vampire is gone. Here's here's the thing. They're like Scrappy, raise the cell because we can't really unmask the vampire. Uh, with the, this cage around the, the bars oh, are too you're right. right we can't reach in so so scrappy is like oh okay i'll just i'll raise the cell and scrappy is the one who turns off the lights you're right that was all scrappy's doing there and presumably also triggering the trap door which i don't think you could probably do from the stage when the lights come back on obviously the cage is empty and all the characters emerge from the wings uh, and this is what makes this a particularly fascinating episode of scooby-doo because jack shows up and Jack's like, what's going on here? Sally shows up and she's like, hey, what what up? And Mrs. Cornell shows up. And she's like, oh, you know, like I saw the lights uh, in the opera house were on. They, they all came in. They were all attracted there for various Even reasons. Daphne is Daphne. there. Daphne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have, this is what makes this my favorite mystery episode by far. Like if, even if this isn't necessarily the best episode, this is the best episode for mysteries that we've seen so far. They have a I've gathered you all here together moment. And, and Velma says aloud um i'm glad you're all here because one of you is the vampire oh i i literally watching it alone my my partner not even in the same room as me i was like Ooh, oh dang <laughs> and here's it you you see each of the characters but when the camera pans to velma she's like she's like hiding her hands behind her back she looks so guilty uh, you mean daphne uh, yeah, sorry, da- Daphne looks so guilty. Yeah, and Daphne has not been in any of the scenes that include the uh, the vampire. So we, like, it's hard not to suspect her. But Velma, Velma doesn't go through the clues right away. She goes right for the villain. Yeah, she, she says right off the bat, she's just like, Mrs. Cornell couldn't go to Fisherman's Wharf because she was coming to the opera, which she did as the vampire. This is a twist that I didn't... I did not see this coming. 
the moment, the unmasking moment, because she walks up to old lady Mrs. Cornell, puts her hand on her face, and then pulls off the old woman mask, revealing the vampire underneath. Yeah, what a twist. The mask was the normal person. Fred then uses like a rag to, to wipe the makeup off. As, as Mrs. Cornell stands there gamely accepting everything that's being done to her, like again, da- Velma puts her hand on the face and pulls it off. Fred walks up, standing beside her and just wipes her face like he's cleaning a, a car window for spare change. And I like that just like in um, The Warlock of Wimbledon, I guess makeup like affects hair too. Yeah, because he wipes off yeah. the hair. <laughs> Yeah, her her haircut changes a little bit. It, it's already different when we pull off the mask than we saw before. It's smaller, it doesn't have as much volume, which would make more sense, because how would you fit all of that hair under a mask? Under an old, yeah, this old lady mask. Yeah. And Fred does, he manages to wipe off the, uh, he wipes off the cheekbones, the fangs, the hair, and, like, some of the other smaller features. Velma, they, they, they do talk a little bit more. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious to the audience, I think, that this mirror was painted, that it, that it was merely painted to look like it was, like it was reflecting what was in front of it. So was it like a Roadrunner type thing? Is that what they were going for? Essentially, yeah. They they painted it to make it look like it was reflecting um, the other side of the room, uh, so that when you stood in front of it, it looked like you weren't in there. The thing about mirrors is, as long as you didn't move at all to the right or the left. <laughs> correct. Reflections change depending on your perspective. Yeah. Uh, but but when the lights went out, they swapped the mirrors. That was the whole thing one other thing i'm sorry to jump back to this but in between when they pull off the old lady mask and when they wipe off her makeup when she still looks like the vampire after the old lady mask is gone she still tries to menace them as the vampire like she's caught and the old lady mask is gone she's like (laughs) and then fred walks up and wipes it off like she could fake her way out of it at that point which honestly as like as like a final gambit i feel like why not like why not try just like try because it's a surprise. It's a surprise to pull off an old lady mask and see a vampire underneath. That really shocked me. This this seedy little criminal had a great plan. And who is this seedy little criminal after we wipe off the vampire makeup? This was also really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that it's revealed that... Well, they, they, find, they find the jewels in uh, the purse, uh, which are very small. <laughs> They're so tiny. This is, you wonder, like, this is made quite a while ago. Were these the biggest diamonds at the time? I don't think so. They're, they're so tiny. They're so tiny and not, uh, and not at all, like, lustrous. No, they're painted, they're colored with, like, these flat, plain colors. Like, you might color somebody's petticoat. Not like a jewel that's glowing and, and translucent. Like, I'm looking at them right now. The diamond looks like a diamond. It has, like, the facets of a diamond. The ruby is literally a red uh, oval. Yeah, it's less shiny than a piece of candy would be. Like, these aren't even ring pop level. None of these have any sheen. And then the emerald, I I mean, it, it, it has facets of some sort, but does not look at all like an emerald. It's, 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 such, it's such a dull green color. It's closer to jade, if anything. Yeah, which is a little disappointing. I don't know why, but as a kid, and I guess as an adult watching these... I want to see value in these. I want them to look appealing and desirable so, to make it seem like we really accomplished something by catching them. Yeah, the, oh, man, they're such, they're such tiny, crappy jewels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so 
these jewels are the jewels that were stolen by Lefty Callahan. Remember Lefty Callahan we talked about early in the episode? Same jewels. It's Shaggy who, with a lot of surprise in his voice, Lefty's a girl? Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, Shaggy, you misogynist. Also, Lefty Callahan was caught and went to San Quentin. So presumably this was in the news, unless they used no gendered language to talk about Lefty Callahan during the trial and the incarceration and, the, and presumably the escape. I do really like that, it, I guess as a child, you're sort of like ingrained that like criminals are always men, you know, like thieves are men. So I, I do, I thought it was a really, a really pleasant turn that like, oh yeah, of course, like why wouldn't Lefty Callahan be a woman? And it's also seated in there really nice and early that they're talking about Lefty Callahan's big heist. And then we realize partway through the episode that the, the villain is going after the spoils of this heist. And now we find out it was Lefty Callahan who was the, the villain. It was, I love that mystery. They also go into explaining that the bat, it, Daphne did not turn into a what? woman. Uh, the bat flew into the room because it was the only dark room in the hotel. Scrappy then is very remorseful. Scrappy apologizes like, we're sorry we thought you were the vampire Daphne. And Shaggy does, but yeah. Oh, sorry, that is Shaggy? It is Shaggy because Shaggy was the one who headed up this witch hunt, if you will against Daphne. He's the one who first suspected and then convinced Scooby and then kind of Scrappy and the rest of the game. And then Scrappy follows that up with his own apology. Is that correct? Scrappy says, do you feel better now, Daphne? Because Daphne was under the weather for this episode. Daphne then thanks Scrappy and like strokes his arm. But Scrappy's so small that when Daphne reaches down to stroke his arm, she could be stroking any part of his back or backside. It's like this big motion on a very tiny character. It's so... It's weird. It's weird. It's weird because Shaggy and Scrappy are not often treated like animals or dogs. Scooby and Scrappy, yeah. You said Shaggy and Scrappy. <laughs> well, I'm also right. <laughs> I'm still Shaggy right. Shaggy is treated like a dog. <laughs> Scrappy is the one, <laughs> the one of the three of them who's not. He's the only one of them who doesn't eat Scooby snacks. Outside of the snacks, I, I do think that Scooby is not... Like, they don't pet him. You know, They don't, like, scratch his ears or, like, rub his yeah, belly. Yeah, and Scooby doesn't... Shaggy doesn't often, like, bowl over Fred and start licking his face. Not often. Uh, um, uh, and, and then, obviously, every single episode of Scooby-Doo must end with a gag. Uh, Scooby falls about in some ropes. They turn into a little bit of a makeshift hammock. All of these sets fall down. Scrappy then says, Gee, Uncle Scooby, you'll do anything to make me laugh. Won't you? <laughs> what does Scooby say? Like, well, I guess. He doesn't disagree. He's he's just a big old joker. Yeah, I, I guess it's just kind of playing into the theme of Scrappy thinks Scooby does everything out of bravery or out of love for him. And Scooby just does stuff. In fact, the one thing Scooby does out of bravery and love for Scrappy is save him so often. But Scrappy doesn't acknowledge that. The one thing. The one thing that Scooby uh, does like out of the goodness of his own heart and out of like his care and love for his nephew, Scrappy does not acknowledge. Scrappy probably resents him for it. Or doesn't, remarkably. Ah, dude, I'm, I'm so sorry, but these jewels are so crappy. <laughs> like, the, the, would... the, the, what is the red one? Is that a, uh, a ruby? It's the a ruby. ruby is a red jawbreaker. It's like a red piece of gum. It's just a flat red circle. It's not even angular. And the, the emerald looks like a, a flint spearhead or arrowhead or something. Like, legitimately, I wanted to refer to them as costume jewelry, but that would have been too kind. That wouldn't have been- that would have been unfair to costume jewelry. This is dollar store jewelry. 
so that that is the end of the episode. That's it. Yeah. Um, people keep clamoring for the uh, the checklist. Do you mind if we like kill like hopefully like a minute, like a, a minute and a half? Oh, dude, yeah, let's do it. If people want that, let's do it. I I was just afraid people didn't want that. Uh, right off the bat, no Scooby Doo. No Scooby Doo. I did get a bit of feedback on the Scooby Doo. Someone said that they feel like we don't need to explain it every time. So the Scooby okay, so... Doop is where Scooby and Shaggy. <laughs> It's where Scooby and Shaggy um, create a social situation that the monster, the ghost, the ghoul, is pressured into. Must buy into. And the, the other feedback I did receive, and I do respect, is that we don't need to give an example every time. So what that might look that like is... My, is... <laughs> that's my favorite part. I love, I love writing the Scooby Doops. I, it's... Oh, man, it's so pleasing to me. Yeah, so, like, in an episode where the villain is, like, the ghost of a famous writer, Scooby and Shaggy might appear as, uh, like, fans who are critical of one of these writers' scripts. Like, hey, you don't need to keep outlining this in every chapter. And the ghost is like, I do what I want to do. And or, or, yeah, or maybe they come up with, like, copies of the book for him to sign. Yeah, and he's... And, and then the ghost is, like, flattered. You can see the ghost, like, blush a little bit. Like, oh, shucks. How can you not be flattered? So he's flattered, and he has, to, he has to react appropriately, giving them an opportunity to escape and potentially shame him. Maybe, in fact, the ghost has put both hands in the book as he's signing them, and they sort of, like, slam the book on his hands. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he's got uh, swollen, throbbing <laughs> hands, you know? Um, I don't feel like we explained that quite well enough. Really, the Scooby-Doop is... <laughs> I can't believe... I'm almost upset that someone doesn't like when we give examples of the Scooby-Doop. The, the worst part is, it's the person whose feedback next to yours I value the most for this. Is it it's Leah? It's Leah, yeah, it's my little sister. No! I know! <laughs> Anyways, let's do the rest of the checklist. There's no Scooby-Doop in this episode, regrettably, but somehow this episode really succeeded without it. Uh, there's no chase. There's no musical chasing. No musical chasing. There's point. no. There's no corridors. Um, there's no meddling kids, which is to say that I don't. Lefty Callahan says much of anything. Lefty Callahan doesn't say anything once the mask is off. Um, the vampire lady does say, "Don't meddle in my affairs." But that's like midway through the episode. Midway through the episode, and there's no mention of kids, so it's not. That's not a box that's checked. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy, they do eat a reasonable amount of food. They eat a, yeah. a garlic pizza. They do. Um, they eat a big old garlic pizza. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that we've come back around to this because I did want to talk about that. I'm very disappointed that they don't use their anti-vampire breath on the vampire. They should have at least tried because that scene immediately followed them eating pizza. And the thing is, it would have worked regardless. I can imagine them doing it and being like, oh, our garlic breath worked on the vampire because it's a vampire and not just because people don't like garlic breath. Yeah, like they think it's because it's a vampire when really it's because they... Garlic breath is disgusting. So I was disappointed by that. Um, they could have at least tried, and then it was easy. The... It, w- it would have been very easy. And it could have even been a clue, like this vampire wasn't intimidated by the garlic, so we knew it wasn't a real monster. Uh, I can hit off the rest really quickly right now. Yeah, lay it on us. Uh, they don't split up to look for clues because it's a little bit. The mystery is a, it takes a little bit to sort of take off. And they split up organically. Daffy's already sick in her room, so she's peeled off of the group. Fred and Velma do want to investigate stuff, but it's more that Scooby and Shaggy have left them. Uh, there is a trap, and it is uh, Scrappy's doing. True enough. And it doesn't succeed. Uh, and there is a wrap-up and unmasking, which I think is like pretty par for the course. Like You don't see a lot where that doesn't take place. Yeah, something that I don't think is a trope that we have on our checklist, but what I loved about this was having everybody in the same room. It's more of a murder mystery kind of thing. It said, like, I've gathered you all here because one of you is the killer. 
I loved that. I thought I thought did think that was very very good. I loved how we went through it procedurally at, at that point. That was great. So that's it. That's everything that I have that I had on the list. Um, that were like the main the main tropes. Again, I loved this episode. I think if there's ever an episode that I would encourage everyone to go check out, at least on the classic side, this episode and Make a Beeline Away from That Feline are the two that you really should treat yourself and go watch. They're so rich. I couldn't stop laughing throughout this whole thing. What I would have really liked, I think, to to really scale up the horror, and, and listeners, please check out that episode. I had so much fun recording that with Luke. Um, is, is sort of you mentioning that, like, it's it's horrific to see a friend turn into a monster, and it's particularly horrific when you try to reach out to the vestiges of mm. uh, humanity in that friend, and they don't respond. Yeah, which, which is to say that they never refer to the vampire of the bay to her face as Daphne. And Shaggy never, he's afraid, he's more than he's afraid of Daphne, that he, then he's worried for Daphne. And that's not, it, it's not, doesn't, it's not as scary. Uh, honestly, I can't, I think we've covered this episode pretty well. We're also, like, way over time. Way, yeah. And I, there's gonna be some stuff to cut. There's gonna be some stuff to cut, but I enjoyed this so much, I'm gonna have a hard time thinking of anything. A thrilling episode. Truly a thrilling episode. You, quite, quite a bit of fun. Evan picked this one, and I'm so grateful for it. Thanks for listening. Uh, prepare yourselves for the outro. Yes. We've, we're on, we're on quite a run of episodes where these outros get unwieldy, and, uh, yeah, but I'm not going to stop. I'm unyieldy when it comes to these unwieldy outros. You feel me? I'm so hungry. So, uh, have I ever told you about my, uh, my, favorite, my favorite genre of music? Uh, no, no, I don't believe you have. What, what is your favorite genre? You like so much music. What's your favorite? Uh, San Fran Disco. <laughs> Oh, well... Oh, man, there's so much background on Your chair is so squeaky. Really? Yeah. Have you considered Have you considered greasing it? Maybe with a little bit of San Fran Crisco? Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> okay, okay, one more. Round it out. Rule of threes, bro. Oh, you're right. Um, uh, yeah. You like ice cream. I, I love ice cream. Yeah, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite company, your favorite ice cream company? I, I don't know. Tell me. Can you tell me what my favorite ice cream company is, friend? You know what the problem is? Is I'm not sure if this is ice cream or like crackers. I should have looked this up. No, 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 no. Okay, come on. Just lay it on me. Give it to me. Now I it's, really want this. It's San Fran Nobisco. <laughs> I think that's definitely crackers. That's like <laughs> crappy cookies. Are you glad that this is how I decided to wrap up our episode? I want to roast you for this, but honestly, I love it. I really love it. <laughs> Just like in between this outro and our last recording, I was like, no, hold on. I got something. I can't even tell you it's not good because my bit I did right before we started recording was San Fran tech guy from The Flash, (laughs) a.k.a. Cisco from CW's The Flash, which is objectively the worst pun of all ours. Yeah, it's real bad. Um, Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much for for sitting through that or standing through it or, or... However you are positioned physically. Jogging through that, laying through that, driving through that. But thank you for joining us for that episode. Yeah, um, so now is the outro portion. We're just going to tell you uh, where you can find us and how you can support us. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just to start with support, obviously listening is great. Um, We love that Mm -hmm. you uh, appear to like us. Listening is, yeah, I would say, and I think Evan, you'd concur, 
Our podcast has the highest production value, no question, of any Scooby-Doo podcast yeah. out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Evan coughs when he really agrees. That doesn't happen a lot. You don't hear that a lot in the podcast, but that's agreement. Uh, that actually reminds me that if you donate to us on Patreon, there are a lot of really fun bonuses that you can get. <laughs> One of them is a little remix that Luke put together of me coughing. He made a song out of it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's there for you to it's listen there. to. It's there. It's not good. No one's calling it good, but it's there. And that's just one of a variety of little juicy audio clips that you can get on our Patreon, in addition to a specialized compliment, in addition to episodes a day early, and a lot of other perks depending on how much you donate. So please go to Patreon and join our esteemed, beloved donors, who we shout out every week. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we don't have anyone to add to their number this time around, but we are still going to, like you said, shout them out. Say their names. So let's go ahead and do it. Patreon.com slash ScoobyDudes. Here are the people that have gone on there, donated, and helped us keep this podcast going. Apart from that, if you want to go to Twitter and, you know, you want to... Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're a politically active listener. You're a, pol- a politically active person. And as a result, you have created a Twitter mm. account. Because what better way to keep abreast with the, uh, with the comings mm. and goings with the thoughts of the 45th president of the United States. Personally, I, I only subscribe to the Donald on Reddit. That's my only source of news and Donald Trump news. But maybe you wanted to broaden your feet a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. you've had enough of just, you know, Donald Trump 24-7. You want to add another, uh, another Twitter account? Consider the Scooby Dudes. Yeah, consider a palate cleanser. Donald Trump obviously is the highest quality and level of discourse available in our world today. But how can you appreciate that if you don't go down to the gutter every now and again at the Scooby Dudes on Twitter? Uh, if you, uh, if you're maybe more of a Facebook person, uh, we are on Facebook as well. Facebook.com/slash Scooby Dudes. Nice and simple. You can't miss it. Come like our page and shoot us a message. We'll probably hit you back. And that's not even the only place you can message us to get a response. Yeah, shoot us an email. We are scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. If you uh, just want to comment, if you want to encourage, if you have a question for the podcast, you know, we might even read it on air. Who knows? At the very least, you can count on a response. Just ask Mike, who apparently I'm shouting out again on this podcast, who emails us all the time. Yeah, we can, we can say his name now because he is now a donor. He's in, that, he's in that inner circle. Yeah, and now, how much is he donating? We're not going to talk about that. It's not important. We'd talk about it if it was a lot, but we're not going to talk about it because it's not important. <laughs> Unless he starts donating a notable amount of money, in which case we'll oh, start we, talking we, about it. We just got an email. Michael has, uh, has dropped the amount of their donation. Don't be like Mike. It, it's, almost, it's, almost like you're, you're, uh, it's almost like your reverse psychology has backfired on you. Old Hitler stash at it again. <laughs> Patreon.com, donate. Shoot us an email at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Visit iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Lastly, you, you like our podcast. You like listening to our voices. You like hearing us discuss Scooby-Doo and the gang. Yeah, they do. If you are aching for just a little bit more, maybe we, we made a reference that you, you didn't get. It was a little bit of a mystery to you. We, we drop a lot of obscure internet references. And obscure obscure for anyone, perhaps, just very esoteric to you and me. Yeah, we, we definitely reference a lot of stuff that I don't expect people to get. Which, but it's... Maybe I should stop doing it. No, because it's so golden. It's so good. The, kind of, the, the stuff that we're referencing, you want to be in on this. Even though it doesn't matter. It's nothing stuff. It's internet memedom at its lowest. 
these are gems that you should treat yourself to. And the Scooby Dudes website will outline a lot of our references. We'll correct all of our mistakes. We'll give you additional notes on the details that you're interested to find out about. So if you want to check all of that out, just go to ScoobyDudes.com. I've timestamped everything. So uh, that's a great way to, uh, to if you're reading the note and you can't quite remember, just uh, there's a little audio widget above. You can just drag and drop to, uh, to wherever that timestamp is. You'll, exactly. you'll hear us talk about that. Yeah, that's an amazing feature that Evan puts a lot of work into. On top of the screenshots and funny captions and all the other features, especially the original art on our website, which this week of all weeks is just blowing me away as I'm looking at it right now. This week is the last title card from Le Leslie Pulsifer, who, uh, full disclosure, my cousin, is so talented. Uh, so definitely go to our artist page on our site. You can find uh, links to her site, links to her Instagram. Check her out, because uh, she deserves it. She's done phenomenal work. Really, she's an incredible talent. Uh, she deserves your, your patronage and your interest, regardless of her work on our podcast. But she's done great work on our podcast. So now uh, we're at about around 10 minutes, which is uh, halfway through our normal... <laughs> our typical <laughs> outro. Which, once we remove all the times Evan coughs, will be about two minutes long. So that's... Excuse me. <laughs> Listeners, as you're listening to this outro, you haven't heard Evan cough at all. That's because I've cut every cough and I've stacked them at the very end, one <laughs> after another. So you can listen to them all together. And Evan doesn't know I'm about to do this, but I'm gonna. <laughs> Ten consecutive minutes of me coughing. <laughs> I cannot wait to do that. And that's it. That's it. We, we, gotta, wrap, we gotta wrap this up. We really do. This is as long as it should be. Thank you guys for joining us. Stick around for next week's episode. It's a Q&A episode. Another friend interrogation. Uh, if you didn't send us questions, unfortunately, it's too late. But uh, next time. We're about to do it right now. But stick around. Next time, We're in addition to answering your questions, we're each going to give our own ideal fan cast for a live-action Scooby-Doo. Who would Luke and Evan want to see in the next live-action Scooby-Doo? Uh, so thank you for joining us for this week's episode. I love you, Evan. And I love our listeners. <coughs> so if you wanna <clears throat> So if you wanna check all of that out, just go to scoobydudes.com.